when you hit the ground? You ever heard that? Some of you have, some of you haven't. So let me introduce it to you if you haven't. So here it is. It's not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. What do I mean by that? Well, what are we talking about the last several weeks? Praising the Lord with all of our heart. Where does praise originate? In the heart. So if praise originates in the heart, it's more than just a Sunday morning experience, right? So on Sunday morning, when you show up for worship, and we have the songs and the praise team and the music ready, and you stand up and you sing and you lift up your voice, you use your lips, your tongue, your mouth, you sing, you may raise your hands, you may bow your head and close your eyes or whatever, however it is that you worship, that's how high you're jumping. It's not how high you jump that really measures your praise. The measure of a real heart of praise is how straight you walk when you walk out of that door. How holy you're living throughout the week. That's what makes praise genuine. That's what makes what we do right here real. So it's not how high you jump on Sunday morning, it's how straight you walk Monday through Saturday when your feet hit the ground. In other words, your praise on Sunday is hollow if your testimony Monday through Saturday is shallow. So how do we praise the Lord? We've talked a lot of ways about how we praise the Lord. We've talked a lot about with our lips and with our bodies, and, and, uh, but today I want to talk about how we praise the Lord with our daily lives. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let's look at that verse just a minute. Let your light shine in such a way that others may see your good works and it may make God bigger in their eyes. It might be praise to the Lord. In other words, your life is the way you're living is either praising the Lord or it's not. Simply put. It's either glorifying God or it's not. So should our praise be more than from our lips? The answer is yes. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. I don't want to worship the Lord in vain. I don't want to have an empty worship experience where all I do is sing and praise and, and, and when I'm gathered, but I walk crooked and away from God during the week. That's not praise. That's not genuine praise. That's not praising the Lord with all of our heart. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 15 that praise is the fruit of our lips. But the Bible also teaches us that praise is the fruit of our lives. Let me explain. 
In Leviticus, that so popular book that everybody can't wait to read, in chapter 19, let me read verses 23 through 25. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. And you say, now what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, he's, ter- he's talking to Israel about how to get their land to produce better. He says, so when you plant a fruit tree, he said you leave it alone for three years. You don't touch it. Even if it bears fruit, <clears throat> you don't touch it. The fourth year, whatever fruit it bears... That's holy to the Lord. You still don't touch it. It's, it's the Lord's. It is a praise to the Lord. Now, let's suppose that the Israelites decided, you know what? If that tree bears any time in the first four years, I planted that tree, I watered that tree, I fertilized that tree, I've worked that tree, I'm going to eat off of that tree, by golly. And they disobey the Lord. Is that praising the Lord? Is that fruit to the praise of the Lord? Or is that fruit to just satisfy their wants and wishes? The point of this scripture is, is that our obedience, is the, is, is, our praise is the fruit of our lives. Obeying what God tells us to do is fruit that manifests the praise of God. He says it like this, the Bible says it like this in Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Is your life filled with the fruits of righteousness? Is it praising the Lord the way you're living your life? 1 Peter 1.7 That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll go back to the subject of that sentence. The genuineness of your faith may be found to praise God. How genuine is your faith? Is it just a Sunday morning faith? Is it just something you think about on Sunday mornings when you have to come to church or you, 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 you come because you're supposed to? Most of you are probably here because you want to be here. But is it still all about the Sunday morning experience or is your faith more real and more genuine than that to you? Because how we live our, our lives throughout the week testifies of how genuine our faith is and our genuine faith reflects the glory of God when others are looking at us. Let your light shine in such a way before others that they may see your good works and praise God in heaven. Our obedience in any and every area of our life is an act of praise to God. You ever thought about it that way? How much we hallow him. How much we honor him. How much we consider him worthy. Every time I'm tempted, if God is worthy, and if I hallow God, then in order to praise him, I resist. My, my life, in every area of my life, am I praising the Lord? Here's what the Bible says. I'm going to give you some more scriptures out of the book of Psalm, chapter 40, verse 3. Actually, I want to read this whole verse. Uh, Chapter 40, verse 3 says, He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. They will see our lives 
He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Notice the verb. Many will see it. If I'm praising the Lord, why would they see it? Wouldn't they hear it? Are people seeing your praise to the Lord on a daily basis? Psalm 50 verse 23. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Psalm 61.8, So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Daily perform my vows. What vows have you made to the Lord? Well, you've committed your life to him, haven't you? If you're saved, you told the Lord, I'm giving you my life. You gave me your life. I'm committing my life to you. My life is not mine. I've been bought with a price. The price is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not own this body. I do not own this life. It is his completely. So I made a vow to him. I committed it to him. To be obedient in every way that I'm supposed to be. Not that I do it perfectly. God forbid that I would say that because I know I don't. But I made that commitment. I made that vow. And I'm only to do it on Sunday mornings, right? I'm only to do it when you're watching, right? I'm only to do it publicly, right? Or am I to do it often? Nope. Always. I'm to daily perform my commitment to the Lord. As a praise, I will show forth. Psalm 79 says, So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, we will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. Again, there's that verb, show forth. He didn't say declare. He didn't say sing. We've talked about that. He didn't say play an instrument. We talked about that. Those are all ways. Today we're talking about the demonstration of our lives. I will show forth your praise. Now that word show forth means to inscribe or to write or to record. That is, your life is a record of what you think of God. The way you're living it is a record to everybody who's looking of what you think of God. Paul wrote it like this to the church at Corinth, the Corinthian, his Corinthian brothers and sisters. He said, you are our epistle written in our hearts. Now, you know what an epistle is? It's not the wife of an apostle. The word epistle means letter. It's the Greek word engrapho from which we get the word engrave. He said, you are an engraving, written, engraved on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you're an engraving of Christ. Not uh, written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. Listen, people are reading your book. You wrote a book, didn't you? You haven't published one. You're not a New York Times bestseller, but you're writing a book. Every one of us are authors. And people are reading our book. What are they reading? And let me say this. There's more people reading your book than you think there are. Our lives are a living record an engraving of God's gospel that others are reading. 
They may not hear your lips of praise on Sunday morning, but they're watching your life of praise Monday through Saturday. Psalm 119, the first part of verse 7 says, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. He didn't say I'll praise you with instruments. He didn't say I'll praise you with my song. He does say that, but not for today. Today we're talking about our lives. He said I'll praise you with what? Uprightness of heart. How upright is your heart? Psalm 145, the first part of verse 10 says, All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. God says, My works praise me. Meaning Him. God's works praise God. When you look out this morning and you saw the sun rise, some of you saw it. You saw last night the the sun set, some of you saw it. How we marvel and, and delight in the sun rises and the sun sets. How we marvel in a beautiful blue sky day like today. And how we can't wait for October and November when the weather's cooler. And, and we marvel at being able to raise our windows and let that cool air in. And hear the birds chirping outside and singing. We marvel at the wonders of God's works and we praise Him. And His own works praise Him. The point here is, is that if God's works praise Him, are my works praising Him? Am I one of His works that's praising him in everyday life. So I wanted to take a few minutes this morning to make you uncomfortable. My job is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. <laughs> so if you're comfortable, you're fixing not to be. And it, this, this part of the message makes me squirm. But I want to cover five areas of our lives And I want us to do some spiritual inventory to see if these areas of our lives are declaring God's praise. First of all, the most uncomfortable would be my marriage. You read in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verses 21 through the end of the chapter, and you you think you're you're talking about marriage, right? In fact, in our premarital counseling uh, that I do with young couples as they're preparing to Uh, get married as I go over this a a good bit I call that session uh, the holiness of our wedlock and it talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and and loving their wives as um, they love their own selves and nurturing and cherishing their wives and it talks about wives submitting to their husbands and and respecting their husbands and and so you think wow that whole chapter is all about husbands and wives and how we're supposed to live as husbands and wives and it's true it is about that but Paul ends this chapter, second to last verse, he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm going to paraphrase it, but what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I thought you were talking about husbands and wives. Paul says, no, I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about how your marriage is reflecting my glory. How your marriage is reflecting my gospel. That's what I'm talking about. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. You see, if if a wife says, I want to get married, but I will submit to no man. Or that man's not worthy of me submitting to. I don't respect him. See, the Bible didn't say to husbands, husbands, make your wife submit to you. It said, wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. So a wife's act of submission is her own willing act of obedience to the Lord. So wives, it's not your business 
to make your uh, husbands, it's not your business to make your wife submit to you. And if you're trying that, you're failing. I guarantee you, you're failing. If you're trying to force your wife to submit to you, you're failing. You tell a woman she's got to submit to you, you just bit a duck. And on the same token, wives, it's not your job to force your husbands or make your husbands or do something to try to earn your husband's love. See, as husbands, love your wives. He didn't say, wives, do everything you can in your power to make your husbands love you. See, a, wife, a husband loving his wife is his act of obedience to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As you love your own self, nurture and cherish her. And so when a wife says, I will not submit to that man, I will not respect him, and a husband says, I can't love that, I do not want to be with that, then what they're saying to the rest of the world, remember, we're a book. Everybody's reading our book. We're saying, you don't have to come to Christ. You don't have to submit to Christ. You can come to Christ and be saved and do your own thing. Or the husband. Christ doesn't really love you. Because you're not worthy of his love. All that you're doing, the way you're acting, I can't love that. Now, is that how Christ loves us? Is this how we, the wife, unsubmissive wife, is that how we're supposed to come to Christ? So is our marriage, is my marriage praising the Lord? Then about the home in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Your home life. Children, got some children and teenagers in here this morning. Let me speak to you for a moment. Is it always fun to obey your parents? The Bible says, obey your parents like you would the Lord. And he gives you a promise, if you honor your father and your mother, it'll be well with you and you'll live long upon the earth. Are you children and teenagers? Are you honoring your parents? Are you obeying your parents? You see, if, if you're a rebellious person, and you're strong-willed, and you don't like to be told what to do, and you resist and, and disobey then you're telling the watching world, remember your book, you're telling a watching world, you don't have to, you can rebel against God. It's okay to be disobedient. Or what if you're friends and, and you're out with your friends or you're at school and, and, and you're doing something that your friends know your parents want to approve of. And then if your parents found out, you would be in deep doo-doo. But they see you doing it. They know you're disobeying your parents. They know you're dishonoring your parents. But you want to be cool and be accepted. But you're telling the world, God doesn't really matter. It's what I want that matters. You're not living your life to the praise of the Lord. He goes on and says in verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we're talking about our homes now here. We're talking about children, but what about us as parents? Are we training our children, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? You know, one of the things that I tell men when they come in for premarital counseling or, or even marital counseling, you know, men like to say, hey, I'm the head of this family. I wear the pants in this family. And what I tell men is then pull them up and buckle them tight. 
and start acting like. Fill those pants up. Fill them up. Stand them up. Walk it out. Be a man. But you know what? How many men there are? How many husbands there are? How many fathers there are who have never prayed with their wife? Oh, the third, the head of the household. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the spiritual head. Husbands, was the last time you prayed with and for your wife? How many times, and how many husbands, and how many daddies are praying with and over their children? How many times have you, when's the last time you read the Bible with your spouse, with your wife? How many times, or when's the last time you read the Bible to your children, with your children? Men, it's time for us to stand up. We're good at provoking our children to wrath. We're good at getting in their face and making demands, going nose to nose and with them and telling them what they ought to do and what they ought not to do. But fathers, stand up and be the man. Be the spiritual leader to the praise of God. Is your home a testimony? Is your home, remember, we're a book. You say, people don't see if I do or don't do that. Oh, but they can tell. They're reading more about our lives than we think they're reading. We're giving off more information than we think we're giving off. What about your job and your career? Ephesians 6, 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God. How? From the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So your job, your career, how many of you go to work every day? You go to work every day. Some of you are retired, but you, you know what I'm talking about. You've been to going to work every day for all your life. Now you're going, thank God I'm done with that. But I'm talking to you who are employed. Or I'm talking to you who are employers. It tells us how to live a, a godly life of praise right here. It tells us if we're an employee, how we're to serve our employers. He says, be obedient. And notice he doesn't say, he doesn't qualify that term uh, master. Oh, if your master is sweet and kind and gracious and he's a good Christian guy or girl, lady, then obey them. But if, if they're a jerk, you can disobey them. He doesn't qualify that. He says, be obedient. How? As to Christ. Verse 5. Not with eye service. That is not when they're just, not just when they're watching What's the old phrase, when the cat's away, what? Some of you are like those mice. When the cat's away, you're playing. You got that solitaire game up on your computer. All you got to do is hit one button and it goes to your work screen when the boss walks by. Doing the will of God, how? Verse 6, from the heart. With goodwill doing service. You want goodwill for your company. You want goodwill. You want good things to happen for your employer. As to the Lord. Again in verse 7. Not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive from the Lord. You say, well, I'm not getting paid enough. I need a raise. You're not, are you, is that all you're doing it for? Listen. If the only reason you're going to work is to pay the bills, you're miserable. You're a miserable person. 
We'll say, I've got to pay the bills, got to feed my kids, got to put a roof over their heads, got to drive them here and there, and do all the things we do. If that's the only reason you're going to work, you might as well quit. You're miserable. And if that's the only reason I had to go to work, I'd be miserable all the time. I'd hate Mondays. Why should I go to work? By the way, when was work invented? Some of you say after the fall. Nope, it was invented before the fall. Adam tended the garden before Eve was ever created and ever tempted. Why do we go to work? Because it's given to us by God as fulfillment in our lives. And if your work is not fulfilling, then you get the wrong attitude about it. You get the wrong mentality about it. If you're just going to work to pay the bills and make ends meet, then you're miserable. But you need to see your work as the work of God. Knowing that whatever good anyone, he will receive the same from the Lord. God is your rewarder. God is your master. God is your employer. I'm doing this for the glory and the praise of God. I want to do the best I can for his glory. And he says to masters, that is to employers, same thing. You're giving up threatening. Others don't threaten your employees with firing them or, or their wages. Knowing that you have a master also in heaven, there's no partiality with him. So how about your job and your career? Are you living it out, fleshing it out? Are you showing up to work miserable every morning, griping and complaining that you have to be there? You know what you're telling those employees, your fellow employees? That you don't, God's not that big of a deal to you. You're, you're, you're not praising the Lord in the way you're living your life. It's not how high you jump on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. And then you, you go to work Monday morning griping and complaining that you got to be there. Man, you don't got to go to work. You get to go to work. I don't got to go to church. I get to go to church. There's a big difference. Just change one letter. Change one letter. From O to E. And you'll start praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I get to go to work today. I could be an invalid and laid up in bed, not able to work. Thank you, Lord, that you provided a source of income for me and give me a better attitude about my job. How about your education, that part of your life? You know, if you're in education today, as a student especially, we ought to be praying for our students. Hard and heavy. As, our, as well as our teachers and our administrators. But I'm speaking to students today of all ages. Are you praising the Lord in your educational pursuits? Let me share some scriptures with you for, that Paul shared with young Timothy. Timothy was a, a student. Timothy was young, and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, by the way, he says in verse 1 and 2, um, he says, teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments. Have you ever met anybody that's just obsessed with arguing? Obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Here's what he tells us to do. Get away. From such, withdraw yourself. That means just get out. Get away. What I'm, what, 
I want to say to uh, our young people today or our students today is if you're in the public education system and let me say this um, as a disclaimer I'm grateful for the many Christian and godly teachers and administrators that we have especially in Thomasville Thomas County area my daddy told me before I went to college and when I before I went to seminary son you better know what you know you better know what you believe before you get there he said because you're going to be challenged you're going to be faced with all kinds of falsehoods and false teachings you know where my daddy was sending me he didn't send me there I chose to go there a Baptist college you know where else my daddy was sending me he didn't send me I chose to go there but he knew I was going to Baptist college and he knew after Baptist college I was going where a Baptist seminary and he still told me that And if my daddy knew that I was going to be faced with junk at those two places, I know if you're going to a secular institution, you're going to be bombarded with garbage from people who, have, who think they're smarter than your parents. Listen to what he says in chapter 6, verse 20 to 21 of 1 Timothy. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings. A lot of what's going on in colleges today is just idle babblings about nothing. And contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. They're calling knowledge, and, and they're not teaching what's the truth. They're teaching against the truth. And, God, and, and Paul says to Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Listen, young people, these things you've heard, let me keep reading because I'm, I'm going to get there in just a minute. 2 Timothy three fourteen. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know what you, education you need? You need a biblical education. You need a Bible education. You need to know the Word of God. All Scripture is given to thoroughly complete you for every good work. The problem today is we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We think we need some guy who's got more degrees than a thermometer to tell us what we're supposed to know. And he don't even know God. And we're sitting under him. And he's babbling all kinds of falsehood. My dad's what my daddy knew was coming. That's why he warned me. So young people, the things that you've heard from your mama and your daddy, from since you was a little kid, the things you've heard in these Sunday school hallways and classrooms, the things you've heard from this pulpit, guard those things because I know I know, I know, I've been here 21 years. I know that the things you've heard in this church have been the truth. From those Sunday school hallways and this pulpit, you've heard the word of God. Guard that because you're going to be bombarded with falsehood. The moment you step out of your mom and daddy's house and you go into the public education system, you're going to be confronted with falsehood. Guard. My dear friends, don't accept it. 
reject it. Even confront it if you've got the backbone to do so. As your education, experience, and pursuits bring you honor and glory to God. And lastly, what about when I'm not in school? What about when I'm not at work? What about when I'm just chilling out? Well, even when you're just chilling out, are you just chilling out with Jesus? Or do you think, I can put God and Jesus and work and education off over here and I can do whatever I want? Well, listen to what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 14, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So if you're living, who are you living for? If you're the Lord, who are you living for? Better be the Lord. But some people say they're the Lord's, but they're living for themselves. And your leisure activities, are you living for the Lord? Look at verse 12 through 19 of that same chapter. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You see, sometimes we live our lives and we do our own thing and we're... We think it's just our business. We think it's just, it's just our lives that are being affected. Again, you're a book. You're a book. People are reading your book. If I were to write a book, a real book, and publish it, it would influence everybody who read it. Your life is being read, and it's influencing the people who's reading it. So, you're not your own. The things, the ways that you're doing things affect other people. You may say, well, it's okay for me to do this. I don't consider that a sin. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to think bigger than that. How is this affecting the people who are reading my book? What message am I communicating? What am I saying? We don't like to think like that because we think, the way I live my life is my life. Just Get over it. Mind your own business. And yeah, we are to kind of mind our own business. God gave us one nose and it belongs in our face. He didn't put it in anybody else's nose or anybody else's business. That's why he says in verse 14, some people think this is wrong. Some people think that's wrong. Some people think that's right. Some people think this is right. It, it, he said, we just make, need to make sure that we are living a life for the people who are reading our book not to be offended or cause a put a stumbling block in front of them. Your leisure activities matter. What you do, where you go, what you watch, it matters. It matters. Even if you don't think anything's wrong with it, it matters to God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, whether you eat or drink. Now he's talking about just our leisure activities, whether we eat or drink. Whatever you do, he says, do all to the, what? Glory of God. To the praise of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, you're sitting around, chilling out. What you're watching on TV? What kind of books you're reading? What you're watching on these things? Looking at on these things? To praising the Lord? Or you think you can get away with that because you look good on Sunday, raising your hands and singing out loud? It's not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now you just imagine what you're going to do today, tomorrow, the next day. Imagine writing the name of Jesus on that activity. I can write the name of Jesus on that activity because he would approve of it. Signed, Jesus. If you can't sign Jesus' name to it, think you ought to be doing it? Think you ought to be saying it? Verse 23. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. How? It's to the Lord. If you can't do it to the Lord, should you be doing it? It's not how high you walk, how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Your marriage your home, as a parent, as a child, your job, your career, your education, your leisure activities. When I was a youth pastor, I wasn't a youth pastor. I was a youth director. I was a youth minister. Now, if y'all don't know, I was from Louisiana. That's the way they'd say it in the Cajun country. They didn't have youth, youth pastors back then. That was too dignified. I was a youth director for six years before I became a pastor. A couple of my young people, a couple of my youths, were being raised by their grandmother. She said to me one day, I can teach you how to speak in tongues. Now why did she think I needed to speak in tongues? Because I was Baptist and she wasn't. As Baptists, we didn't have enough of God's Spirit, in her opinion. We needed to learn to speak in tongues. I can teach you. She said, I can teach you how to speak in tongues. I said, no, ma'am, you can't teach me how to speak in tongues. First of all, tongues is a gift. You don't teach somebody a gift. You either have it or you don't. She goes, no, 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 no. I can teach you how to speak in tongues. I said, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. But she thought that her speaking in tongues was a great way to praise the Lord. Well, I had many occasions to spend time in that home because of those two young people. And I observed her life. Unfortunately, it didn't measure up to what she said. She was an alcoholic and an abuser of the English language if you could call the word she used English. She was going to teach me how to be 
how to praise the Lord better. But she lived a crooked life. I wonder how many churchgoers that could be said of. You look good sitting in here. You sound good. But what if God could see you behind closed doors? Oh, <laughs> that's right. He does. One of the things that I often tell Tana is people act different around me. I appreciate the respect. It does mean a lot to me. But y'all put on your best behavior for me. Because somehow I might tell Jesus on you. <laughs> well, guess what? You can let it all hang out in front of me because it's all hanging out in front of Jesus. not how high you jump it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground will you this morning ask the Lord to help you walk straight to the praise of his glory we can't do it in our, on our own we will fail but in his strength and in his power we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Amen? Let's ask the Lord to do that. As we have a time of prayer, you spend some time praying about that.